God's time to turn in your Bible to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christ's followers in what is today Turkey. Uh, I'd like us to study the, the first seven verses of uh, this chapter today, beginning uh, with Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So in your Bible, you have 13 letters from the Apostle Paul. And these 13 letters are written to both groups and individuals uh, for various uh, purposes, and they mostly follow the same format. And in these opening words of Galatians that I just read, uh, Paul begins with that format. Uh, Paul introduces himself and his God-given role. Paul mentions that he is an apostle, which is an ancient word that just means one who is sent which by itself does not say very much. Uh, In the ancient world, the word apostle was used for anyone commonly that was a go-between between kingdoms. The thing that sets Paul apart is not that he is an apostle, one who is sent, but who sent him. Being sent doesn't make you special. It depends on who sent you. Uh, If you're my neighbor and uh, I send over one or both of my kids to borrow a shovel, Uh, my kid will appear at your royal garage and explain what kingdom uh, that they come from. Uh, My kids will say, uh, we're apostles, apostles from my father who liveth and abideth at the castle next door. And he now seeketh your shovel to moveth the mulcheth around his royal driveway. And depending on what you think of me, uh, you will either give my kid a shovel or tell him just to shove it off. And, uh, which proves that an apostle is only as powerful as the person who does the sending. It is one thing to be an apostle sent by me. It's another thing to be an apostle sent by the President of the United States. It's another thing altogether to be an apostle who is sent explicitly by, verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's how Paul introduces himself. And this is a typical start to Paul's letters. But then in verse 6, Paul interrupts this regular broadcast, interrupts this typical format with something radical. At verse 6, Paul makes this dramatic statement by what he says and by what he does not say. First, notice what Paul does not say. Typically, at verse 6, Paul would continue uh, the greeting by listing reasons he's thankful for his readers and then listing some ways that he prays specifically for his readers. But Paul interrupts that normal flow and gets right to the point, which leads us beyond what Paul does not say to what he does say in verses 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live 
in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. These words get to the reason why Paul is dispensing with any further niceties. It's because the most important thing in life is hanging in the balance in Galatia. The most important thing in life for this world and the next is the message of Jesus, which Paul calls the gospel, which is an ancient word that just means good news. So for the next two weeks after this week, we're going to be studying these first two chapters of Galatians under the series title, We Agree. In these Galatian chapters, God uses Paul to bring us back to the most important things in this life and for the next. Both for us as individual Christ followers, but also for us as a church. Paul, in in this letter, is writing to a church, just like BlackRock. And so to be faithful, we must apply what Paul says here to us together as a church. And Paul's words come at a very strategic time time for us at BlackRock. In these last three Sundays before we re-enter our home on BlackRock Turnpike, God wants to prepare us and equip us for a season of ministry that historically we know we've never had before and we may never have again. And as part of this preparation, God is calling us to agree God is calling us to agree together as we agree with God and His Word. So, what are these agreements? Uh, These agreements that we're going to uh, study together then will form the basis of uh, the things that we're going to declare together as a church at our building dedication service uh, scheduled now for June 15th. Uh, What are those agreements? Well, first, God calls us to agree with him about what the good news of Jesus is and what it is not. And this is, of course, the problem that Paul is confronting in Galatia. Paul says that there are some believers who have abandoned the gospel for a non-gospel. They have abandoned the good news for news that is not very good. In fact, they have abandoned the good news of Jesus for some bad news of their own making. What is the good news of Jesus? Well, Paul summarizes it with six words in verse 6. Look at those six words. The good news is living in the grace of Christ. Those are the six words. Living in the grace of Christ. I am a sinner. I'm infected by ugly attitudes of narcissism and greed and bitterness and hate. I'm separated from a relationship with God. And there's nothing I can do to earn God's love. But the best news that I can ever receive is the news of God's grace in Christ. Where grace means that God loves me first. And He pours out His love and forgiveness on me when I have done nothing to deserve it. And I can do nothing to deserve it. I can only receive it by faith in Jesus. And so in verse 6, Paul says that the good news is living. Is living in that grace. Which means that it's not just a one-time event of receiving that grace and love. It's a moment-by-moment living experience of being transformed by God's grace, His undeserved love and mercy, that transforms me and the way I live every day. 
I do not become perfect when I become uh, a child of God by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. But by becoming God's child and receiving God's indwelling spirit, I do become less selfish and more generous, less bitter and more forgiving, less anger-driven and more loving, less ugly inside and more beautiful like Jesus in his character on the inside. So what is the good news? Let me spell it out for you. The good news is that by living and believing in the grace of Christ, I experience God's forgiving love first, and therefore I do good works. This is the good news. God loves me first, and then my changed behavior flows out of that experience of God's love and forgiveness. But now we're ready to read the rest of the story in verse 7. We've read the, the first seven verses, the beginning of the first uh, of that verse seven. Now let's read the rest of verse seven, where Paul explains how the Galatians have turned good news into bad news. Verse seven, Paul says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, this verse contains the key word that explains how the Galatians did it. How they turned the good news of Jesus into bad news of their own making. The key word is pervert. Some people are trying to pervert the good news of Christ. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here is a word that means to twist around backward. It means to reverse And this explains why Paul is astonished. Paul is shocked how some folks in Galatia have reversed the good news of Jesus into some extremely bad news. Let me spell it out for you. You ready? Here's the comparison. The good news of Jesus is, I experience God's forgiving love, therefore I do good works. The bad news is the reverse. I do good works, therefore I experience God's love and forgiveness. Do you see the difference? The good news is that God loves me first. And then in response and out of the overflow, I do good things and I live a different life. The bad news is the reverse. I try to do good. I try to be good so that God will love me. The good news of Jesus is really good, nothing better. The bad news is really bad. And it is of the highest importance that we agree on what the good news is and what it is not. It is so important for us as individual followers of Jesus, and it's important for us as a church. Because if we as individual Christ followers and as a church live in the grace of Christ, then we will have really good news to share. And if we live this good news, our lives will be such a breath of fresh air that we won't be able to keep people away from this new building. 
if we live this God loves me first kind of life, our lifestyle will be so winsome and so attractive that everyone will want what we have. They'll say, I don't know what gives you so much joy and so much freedom from anxiety and despair, but I want it. But, but if even just some of us reverse the gospel, we could end up being a stench in our community. If we live the reverse gospel, we have no good news to share and our lives actually become the last thing our community wants us to see. Wants to see. The last thing our community needs is a big group of guilty and judgmental religious people. The last thing our community needs is a group of guilt-driven, mean-spirited people who live a reverse gospel that is bad news for everybody. Guilty shame and judgmental pride. This is what the reverse gospel always produces. Whenever I live the reverse gospel, I live bouncing between guilty shame and judgmental pride. It's true. The gospel in reverse does the exact opposite of what the true gospel does. The true gospel makes me completely secure in the love of God. The reverse gospel makes me completely insecure because I never know if I'm doing enough good works to please God and to secure His love. And this constant insecurity bounces me into guilt and shame. In the same way, the true gospel makes me humble because I know that God loves me, not based on anything I do, because I could never deserve it. The reverse gospel, however, bounces me from guilty shame over to judgmental pride because now I get impressed sometimes with uh, my good works and how God loves me more than other people because I'm superior in the way I act. And, and under the reverse gospel, I spend my whole life bouncing between guilty shame and judgmental pride. Let me say a little bit more about each of these polls, starting with the re- how the reverse gospel causes me to live in shame. Why? Because deep down, I know that I'm twisted inside. And I'm ashamed of my imperfections and my failings. And so I compensate under the reverse gospel by trying harder and harder to earn God's love out of my guilt. And people can smell a guilt-driven life and a shame-based life, and they run from it. About a month ago, I had a uh, multi-day conference in a uh, small hotel uh, by Boston. And the hotel was very plain, but it did have maid service. And as I left my room uh, the first morning, I saw a woman who was part of the housekeeping staff in the hallway outside my door. And she had her head down and she was arranging towels in her cart. And I came out of the, uh, out of the room and uh, said with my cheery uh, good morning voice, good morning. And uh, She had her head down, and she did not acknowledge me one bit. And I know she heard me, uh, but she kept on working. I thought, that's strange. She just just kind of blew me off there. 
And, uh, and then during a, a break uh, in the middle of the day, I, I came back down the same hall and noticed the same housekeeper there. And, uh, and since I noticed I was missing, and I, I did ask her for a, a liner for my ice bucket. And uh, uh, she found that liner, didn't look at me, just found it and handed it to me, didn't say a word. And at this point, I was growing Annoyed. I'm not proud of it, but you know, there's just something about you know those little kind of kind of things that when you feel like someone's being rude to you, when you start feeling defensive. And uh, well, the next morning I came out of my door again. Guess who's there? Same housekeeper. I said good morning, and she ignored me again, even though I said it louder. And uh, and so. You know, again, I'm not proud of this, but it's just, you know, those little tiny things that do something to you. And, and I just said, I just said, for some reason, she hates me. I, I don't know what I did. I don't know. But she, she just must hate me. And that just made me, again, kind of feel my blood pressure go up a little bit. And, and, and God, I just sense God saying, whoa, 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 you know, hold it there, champion. And, uh, and you know, the next day, next day. As I was preparing to check out, this same housekeeper walked through the lobby with her head down. And in a snap decision, I chose to overcome uh, the negative feelings I had toward her and just treat her like someone that, uh, I, like I would, who didn't hate me. And I said, you know, thanks for everything. You did a great job. And when I said this, suddenly everything became clear. When I told her she had done a great job, She lifted up her head, and she smiled. And when I looked into her mouth, where that smile should have been, there was blackness. And I noticed maybe two or three teeth that just seemed like they were shattered in a really, really off-putting way. And when when she smiled, she was really quick about it. And then it's like she almost remembered. And then she closed her mouth and put her head down and scurried away. And it was in that moment when uh, I realized that uh, why she didn't speak to me. And it wasn't because she hated me. It's because she was ashamed. Why she ignored me was because she hated her own deformity. She hated herself, maybe. And I thought about how this is a parallel of how we live when we follow a reverse gospel. Our guilt and our shame makes us go through life with our heads down and our hearts closed with insecurity. Our guilt and our shame causes us to put up barriers between us and our other people, our other relationships. Our guilt and our shame keeps us from expressing love. In fact, our insecure approach makes people think, around us that we don't like them. And this is what the reverse gospel does to us. It shuts us down with guilt and shame. But the true gospel does just the opposite. I remember in high school, I met a girl who showed me what it means, what, it, what happens when you live in the grace of Christ and believe God loves me first. This girl, uh, her name was Amy, and she had a severely pockmarked 
face. The skin of her face was scarred due to something that wasn't acting. It was something else. And, and so she had a deformed look on her face and very stringy hair that didn't add anything to her appearance. But guess what? No one cared about her outward appearance because of what she was like on the inside. I was a high school student, and uh, I was new in the church youth group. And, I was, and, and when I walked in, Amy was the first person to welcome me and introduce me around. And I stayed in that group, and I remember how I, that first night I felt so special because Amy uh, did this to me. And then I found out she did this for everybody. Everybody who was new uh, on, the, on their first night, she would be the one as a high school student to make sure that they felt uh, welcomed every week. But her kindness went way beyond that. She was so warm and so unselfish and so genuinely interested in people that she was beautiful. Amy was beautiful because she believed she was beautiful. Because she believed that she was loved by no one less than God. And that changed everything. And this was a a large youth group of hundreds. And Amy was the most sought-after date in the group. And I hear that she is still radiating that same beauty of the gospel today. And this is why we must agree about what the good news is and what it is not. When we reverse the gospel, we forfeit the beauty of Christ and we bounce between guilty shame and judgmental pride. And so far I've been talking about the guilty shame, but the judgmental pride is equally destructive. And, you know, when we're earning God's love with works, when when we do something bad, we feel guilty. Uh, but then when we do something good under this reverse gospel, suddenly we feel superior. And we end up with this judgmentalism that looks down on people who don't know the Bible like I do or don't pray like I do or follow the rules like I do. This is why we must agree on what the good news is and what it isn't. The reverse gospel makes people mean and critical and proud and very judgmental. And even if just some of us smell with this judgmental spirit, it will keep people away from Jesus and the true gospel found in Him. Nobody wants to be around judgmentalism. I mean, that's why I quit my gym membership. I, uh, <laughs> there's, there's nothing worse than being judged by a bald guy in head-to-toe spandex. But I said I'd leave Pastor Larry out of it, so I'm going to do that. But the reverse gospel breeds a judgmental pride that kills our passion for reaching out to lost people. You know, the Galatian church came into being because Paul had this passion for lost people. And he brought people, one by one, into a relationship with Jesus. But then in Galatians chapter 1, we find out how judgmental, reverse gospel people weaseled their way into that church and started ruining everything. And this is the way it always is. Reverse gospel people never bring anyone to Christ. Instead, the true gospel people, by the way they live and the attractiveness of, of their hearts and lives, bring seekers to church. And then the reverse gospel people just get to work stealing joy out of these baby believers and filling their minds up with confusion. Now, last week, I said that I was going to speak to some people who have been following Jesus for some time, and I might make you squirm. 
Here's what I mean. I'm convinced that there are some people listening to me right now, and you've known Jesus for a long time, but you have never introduced one person toward Jesus. In connection with our new building, I've been challenging you to reach out to even just one person and pray for one person, but you have no intention of doing that. You've been following Jesus for decades, but you've never nudged one friend or a neighbor toward Jesus, even though Jesus makes it clear that this is what his believer does naturally. But you don't. And I'd like you to get honest for a second about why that might be. I'm going to suggest the answer. It's not because you're shy. It's not because it's not your personality. If I've known Jesus for decades, but I've never shared him with others, it's probably because I've concluded that the good news is really not that good. And the reason the good news is not very good is because to some degree, I've gotten it backwards. And the good news has become bad news. If my version of the gospel is keeping rules and following traditions and getting God to love me a little bit more, then of course it's not good news. And that's why I don't share it. But it gets worse. If I have the gospel backwards, not only will I have no friends to bring to church, but I will ruin it for the people who are inviting their friends to church. Good news people invite their friends If when they get here, they meet me, and I've got the gospel backwards, they'll run away. If they see this grim duty and joyless worship and critical attitude and judgmental spirit in me, they'll say, I don't want that. I got that at work. And this is why it is so important that we agree. We must agree that the gospel is that God loves me first. And then, from that experience of God's love and forgiveness, therefore I'm different. Therefore I do different things and good things as God's child because I'm filled with the transforming power of His Spirit. And when I live this experience, and you live this experience, and you bring your one into this place or the next place, that one will see the same Jesus in you and me, and will follow Jesus and link arms with us and declare that we agree with God that the gospel is the most important thing in this life and for the next, and that there is a good news, bad news story. We agree that whenever the gospel is reversed, the good news turns into bad news. We agree that we will live in the grace of Christ which is the good news that God loves us first and gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We agree. Now let me just give you a moment just to, just to talk with Jesus, right? Just be quiet for a moment, and uh, this is your chance uh, because, you know, uh, maybe there's a chance that you're here and uh, you didn't even know there was a gospel. You didn't even know there was a good news to accept. Well, you can do that right now just by 
uh, receiving that love and forgiveness from God through faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and how he rose from the dead to fill you with his spirit. But maybe there is some here and you realized that to, to some degree you received the wrong gospel. And you've been living under this reverse gospel. And right now, in whatever way that means, you want to accept the true gospel. And you want to express to Jesus that if you haven't before, you do now. And you want to live in that true gospel. And so maybe right now, in this quiet moment, this is a chance for you to just express again. Or maybe again for the hundredth time. To receive His grace as the true good news that changes your life. Now, please stand as we close. Jesus, we stand before you and we agree. We agree that there is a good news, bad news story. And the good news is, the best news is, that in your grace, you love us first. And that changes everything. Lord, would you save us from from the reverse And would you fill us again with your spirit that comes not from anything we do to earn it, but simply by our faith in what you have done for us. And would you transform us again so that we become a breath of fresh air to this whole community that is waiting desperately to see one who is truly free. Lord, would you make that us for our joy and your glory. In your name, Jesus. 